I've decided I'm gonna start a band. Really? Yeah. First thing you need is a name. Then you'll know what kind of band you've got. <sighs> yeah, I know. I know. I was kind of thinking about, um, Mark. What do you think of that? Is that... Is that with a C or with a K? <laughs> well, um, my name is with... the K. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was thinking maybe my band could be with the C. So, that way it's kind of like that psychedelic, you know, trip thing. <laughs> Always play with their minds. All right, man. You are you recording on your end? I'm recording on my end. That means we are officially underway. Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. This is a uh, this is a special one because we got a guest on this week who just released a record. Um, well, this time, just a couple. What are we? Two weeks ago? Coming up on two weeks, I guess. It'll uh, yeah. It'll be two weeks Friday. Yeah, so by the time yeah, by the time this episode is out and people are hearing it, it'll have been out for just over two weeks. But uh, we're chatting with Nate Parrish. Hello, sir. Hello. Greetings from sunny California. <laughs> yeah, it looks I'm 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 <laughs> sure right now where you are, it looks a little different than where I am because it's pitch black and dark outside. Uh, we are on yep. about as opposite coasts as we could be right now. <laughs> but yet here we are. Right? Bonding over are. punk rock. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I thought it'd be fun. You actually reached out a little while ago, and you'd kind of discovered the show at some point. So we've kind yep. of been going back and forth a little bit as, you know, the the record was was getting ready. And uh, so I thought, yeah, it's it's time. It's about time that we do this. So we're going to talk a little bit. Well, not a little bit. We're going to talk a whole lot about uh, your record. I'm a wreck. Um, so yeah, why don't we just um, let's 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 go back a little bit though. Okay. And I guess talk first about, you know, kind of how you got into punk rock, how you discovered it. So I, um, I had a cooler older sister. I mean, I still have one, uh, but <laughs> she, um, she listened to, you know, there was like that, that punk revival of the early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. And so she got into uh, green day, which, you know, everyone yeah. did, but she also got into rancid. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I really rancid. I was like, Oh, he has a Mohawk. Like they're really, <laughs> they're really punk rock. And, yeah. uh, green day. I was like, oh, I think that they're British or something. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I, I got the benefit of an older sister who listened to some cool music. So, you know, what was that? Like 94 ish. Yeah. 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 I'll come the wolves 95. Uh, and then, so I kind of was, you know, kind of flirting around with it. I've always been into music. I love music growing up. And I was, you know, at that time I was, you know, in the, in the grunge and, uh, just discovering like metal, like Metallica. Right. And my, my friend was showing me like tool and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I was like, I like this, but it's really scary. Is there anything that's just a little <laughs> lighter? Um, yeah. so, so she had that. And then I had a friend actually gave me a social distortion CD in mm. 96 and it was the white light white heat white trash and he prefaced it with saying hey do you want this cd these guys are trying to rip off green day <laughs> oh man ah nice nice <laughs> yeah and so i was like ew no what a rip off <laughs> but i took it and i listened to it a little bit and i was like okay this is weird doesn't sound like green day at all but yeah um and then you know like a year later i think or two years later they released that uh live at the roxy album yeah, and yeah. When I heard that, it clicked in my brain. I was like, wait, this is that same band. These guys are old. And I looked <laughs> them up, and, and so I was totally disgusted with myself uh, that I had not uh, gotten into them earlier. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was my introduction. You know, had, you got to have, like, a, a cooler older sister or a friend who right. doesn't know what he's talking about. You got to have one of the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember, like, your first, you know, punk show that you went to? Absolutely. So... Uh, I hadn't been to any concerts at all, and uh, I think because I was just intimidated. But when I my I was seventeen, I think, and I uh, for my birthday, 
I wanted to. <laughs> it just so happened that um, MXPX was on tour, but nice. they were doing a bunch of shows pretty close to where I lived. Yeah. So I was just begging my dad, and he was gracious enough to. He took me to my first ever concert at Slim's in San Francisco, in a really cool venue. Yeah. And it was MXPX, and the opener was the Ataris. Oh, nice. It was on the um, Blue Skies album. Yeah. And so I saw them, and they blew me away. They're amazing. Yeah, they are. Like, MXPX was one of my first, uh, like, my first show. It's kind of funny because uh, I think. I don't. I don't know that we both kind of grew up necessarily. Not obviously, we weren't anywhere near each other, but but maybe similar upbringings. Like coming up, listening to you know Christian punk rock and stuff like that is really was it was a big thing for me. And so like one of the first shows I went to, I actually you know it's funny talking about going in and finding you know some of that music, going to like Christian bookstores and what have you, right? Like that's what, yeah. that's where you're buying your punk rock. And I remember seeing a flyer up for some local show, and it was just like this absolute like funny because you know you know what a christian bookstore is like they got trinkets all over the place and all sorts <laughs> of you know kids stuff and whatever and then a small cd section but this flyer was for this like hardcore punk show and i just remember going and being like what even is this because at that point like <laughs> mxpx and yes green day obviously like everyone was introduced you know i shouldn't say introduced but but everyone knew who green day was you know in the in the mid to late 90s especially and uh but i just go into this show in this small like divey venue and i'm like what even is this? Like the singer was, his mic was, he got in, you know, like the Ramon stance, right? Like yes. he got in the most emphatic Ramon stance I think I've ever seen. Like he was so low to the like ground. Full legs, splits. <laughs> yeah. Legs so wide that his microphone was above him and he was like screaming up into it. And I was Love like, it. this is, yeah, this is amazing. I couldn't tell you who the bands were. They were just local bands that, you know, I don't think I ever saw again, but like, that was my first taste of like going to a show and being, I'm into this. And I think my, my first actual show was Dogwood came, I mean, living in Canada, uh, we didn't get a ton of stuff that, you know, I was at that time that I was just getting into, but Dogwood came on a tour and I was like, Oh, amazing. So, um, and MXPX. Yeah, MXPX was shortly after that. But um, so why don't we, uh, you know, l let's talk about your record. I'm a wreck. Tell me, I guess, a little bit about how this, you know, came to be, because in, in I guess, like, you know, in the, in the punk world, it's not very often that you get, you know, someone releasing an album under their name and it being like this full band, full blown, you know, sort of thing. Right. Like, um, so how did the album come together? Was it just stuff you were writing on your own that you're like, I got to do this or what was the case there? Yeah. So I, you know, um, once I got the punk rock bug i was you know I, I was infected from high school till now so i i've always loved it you know and you know the, all the variations but my first show ever i joined a band in six months i've been playing guitar six months my first show ever was with the huntingtons and oh, they nice. were one of one of my favorite bands still are and yeah. uh, i was like oh cool i made it like this is it <laughs> <laughs> and so um i that I, that was my and it, it just I was like, I have to do this forever. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's hard starting bands and doing all that stuff. And all the bands I started and played, we just we never did, went anywhere or did anything. And 
Eventually, I got into、uh, church world, which got me into worship world. And、mm-hmm. so I was doing worship, and I ended up、uh, a band that we kind of did our own style of worship. So we would write our own songs, and I was the screamer in that band, and、mm-hmm. um, trying to do something different. You know, I kind of applied that punk rock、um, kind of ethic and、uh, aggression to worship, which was kind of a funny mix, but it worked、right. for us. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I always wanted to do this punk rock thing, but it just never like. It was just my own thing that I did. Like maybe I'd play some shows here or there,、right. but I never, you know, it was never my main gig. And so、uh, even now, but the last couple of years、um, with this project, it's been、uh, about a year where I、um, I just decided, you know, I'm like it's not going to happen unless I just do it myself. So、mm-hmm. um, I saved up some money and bought a home studio, you know, best I could、uh, make it work, and had some friends kind of show me the the ropes, and I just took off running and. I made a commitment that I would write、um, one song a month, re- record it, and release it a month for a year. Yeah. yeah. And that way, I really wanted to it to encapsulate what was actually happening at that time. So it's kind of like a time capsule when you're all done. Yeah. And、um, and it was hard for me at first to just settle in. Like, okay, you're not going to overanalyze what you sound like because at the up until this point, I had not really sang. It was either I was screaming or I was doing harmonies for someone else, right? But never like my voice. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to settle. I'm not going to critique it.、I'm, this whatever comes out, this is going to be me, and、hmm. um, and I'm just going to. It's going to be what it is because you know, like anything you do, art wise or anything that you're passionate about, it first has to be for you. Like it's kind of a selfish、yeah. way of looking at it, but it really does. Like if you're trying to go out there and create something for someone else. You've already failed, in my opinion. Like、yeah. you, you got to do what you want to do, make the music you want to hear. And so、um, I started with politicians and celebrity last July, and literally on the nose as I can be. That's literally what I was talking about because I'm super <laughs> frustrated with both of them. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was such a cathartic experience to just write that and just scream it into a microphone. Yeah. And like, yeah. And when it's done,、I'm、like yeah, I said what I wanted to say. I'm not going to、awesome. apologize to anyone about it, and it felt awesome. <laughs> right on. So, so is the whole recording process. That is it. Are you playing every instrument, or did you find a band kind of? Th- I, I've seen some of like the、yeah. obviously the the videos that you've been doing, where you know it's a group of you obviously playing. But but the actual recording process was that was that just you, or did you call on other friends? Yeah. So it, it's me. So from the beginning,、uh, I would just track guitar and bass and vocals and everything, and then I my I would call. On, I don't play drums, so.、Right. Um, I'd have a friend、uh, who was a former Cutlass drummer, and he he used to play in Showbread, so he kind of gets that punk rock vein. And I would、oh, just、yeah. he lives in Nashville. I'm like, hey, can you track drums for this? So he did a couple songs, and then、uh, he got married, so I gave him a break. And then、uh, <laughs> I had a a, a, a contact a mutual friend, Ethan Luck. He's a yeah p- punk rock royalty, you know, Ethan Luck. Yeah, yeah. And so、um, I had him track drums for the le- rest of the album. And then、uh, I have a, f- a friend, Jason, who's in the videos. He plays bass.、Okay. He's just a really good bass player, and I'm okay. So I was yeah, like, yeah. you know what? I can, I can, I know what I want to do, but I think like let me just let Jason do it. Like that's that's his deal. And so,、um, so he started tracking bass on some of the, the songs a little bit later, and、uh, added some BGVs, you know, backing vocals and stuff.、Mm-hmm. And so,、um, but the writing process is literally me sitting in our loft. With my guitars and just just doing it in in my house studio and and then sending it out to、uh, get drums tracked for it or bringing、right、bringing Jason over you know for, for bass. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's let's dive into it. We we decided quickly that we were going to do kind of a track <laughs> by track look at the record. So yeah,、uh, the the opening track is also the title track. Why don't you tell、uh, tell us a little bit about Amarek? Yeah, Amarek、uh, was one of the easier songs to write.、Um, One of one of my philosophies with the album was to keep it very simplistic on purpose, because、um, once you know when you get recording, you can get, there's an endless amount of things you can add or ooh, what if we did this little pocket here or the drums did this hit or something like that.、Mm-hmm. And I wanted it just to be super straightforward, so that drum beat is just like da 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 through pretty much yeah, the yeah. whole song. And、um, it the song itself is basically comes from a, a place of frustration where. You know, as a believer, you、uh, there you live in a world that's kind of、um, it's an upside down kingdom, essentially.、Mm. You know, the things that we, the values that we have, or the、um, the things that we believe in, are not necessarily represented in the world that we live in. 
Right. And so you're you're kind of forced to, um, you're in between like the positive and negative. If you look at the uh, the album cover for this, the I'm a Wreck yeah. logo, the teeth are made out of plus and negative signs. And oh, yeah. it basically is an illustration of like, man, I, I believe that uh, I, I believe in Jesus and I believe that all these good things. But at the same time, I'm seeing all this terrible stuff. So right. so it kind of messes you up. And just the acknowledgement that, listen, I'm I'm going to do my best here to uh, live a lifestyle worthy of this calling. But at the same time, like I'm a human. And yeah. so um, it just deals with that frustration and and, you know, the conflict between um, faith and fear and. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Well, the the line stuck between my faith and my frustration, like immediately, um, you know, like kind of jumps out. And I, and I think it probably kind of paints a, a pretty good picture, a pretty strong picture for what, you know, kind of the rest of the record is going to entail as far as, you know, lyrics are concerned. And I have to say, um, the sexy saxophone that you've got <laughs> going on in that song I, I'm not, it's funny because I was having this conversation the other day. So I'm visiting my parents right now on the East coast. And, uh, I was, I was talking with my mom and she had, you know, some classic like mom, like smooth jazz going on. And it was, and it was all like being led by the saxophone, like a tenor saxophone. I'm like, you know, the saxophone is probably actually (laughs) my least favorite of all the horns. Right. Totally. And, And, and I think part of it is because like it, it's the one that's been used in like a lot of the cheesiest sort of ways, I guess maybe. Um, but the saxophone on this song, it's it's it really stands out. It reminds me a lot of like you know Bruce Springsteen, the yeah. E Street Band sort of stuff. Totally. Which there's a there's a couple songs on this record where I'm like, okay, I can hear a Bruce Springsteen influence here, whether it's intentional or not. Who knows? Oh but, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I had to point out that saxophone is great. <laughs> yes, uh, that that is a friend of mine. His name's Chris Bellamy, and he's a great musician. And nice. uh, there's a lead line in that song. And when I was, I just heard it. Like when you know, I was listening to it back. I was like, I hear saxophone. I don't know if yeah. that's going to be weird. But I sent it to him. And I said, Listen, man, I don't know if this is going to be weird, but can you give it a shot? And he's like, Yeah. And then he sent me back the the, the demo of it. And I just started cracking up, which means it's it's good. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's, yeah, there's definitely that kind of, um, I, I like Bruce Springsteen. I actually wasn't thinking about Bruce Springsteen when that popped in my brain, but it makes right. total sense. Cause I do love like that brand of American rock and roll and kind of taking right. some of those, those classic rock and roll elements, you know? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. and it's, it's interesting to me and maybe we can talk about this briefly, but cause like when, when you first got, like when you first reached out, I think you had a single that was coming out. And so I, I looked, I don't know that it was out yet. And so when I looked you up on Apple Music, the music I was finding was a lot more kind of in the vein of, you know, like an Americana sort mm-hmm. of thing, right? Like, yep. And and so then I was like, okay, well, what is this guy going on about? Because like we're, <laughs> we're, we're a podcast called Growing Up Punk. And he's like, I mean, I was like, the songs are good, but I like, it's not, it's not really, you know, meeting up here. So where, where was the transition, I guess, from, it was it just... I guess maybe with those earlier songs, just the ease of being able to, you know, write those and do those yourself versus like stretching yourself even further and, you know, basically putting together a whole band on record. Well, I think that so the, the stuff you're referencing is under Parish, and that is a right. uh, me and my wife were worship leaders. So um, about five years ago, uh, we, you know, as is my way. I was frustrated with the sound of worship, and yeah. uh, I don't like a lot of it, but I have to lead a lot of it. Right. And so I was like, well, we're just going to write our own. And for for worship, as far as like um, exploring another aspect, you know, that kind of that Johnny Cash um, sort of thing, it's it's a little bit of Americana, and, and mm-hmm. uh, I love that stuff. And I feel like I want that fit, like, that was a... Uh, a great genre to be able to try and write some new sounding worship in right um, that could still be congregational and people could still follow it. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we did. And, and it's, you know, her influences as well, like her voice and everything is super like haunting. And, and so it really lends to that. And we still, you know, when we lead worship, we do stuff like that. But um, that was still another example of like, I like this and I, I want to do that, but it's, it's not my thing necessarily right. completely. Totally. Although yeah, I, yeah. I, I do love it. All right, so let's let's get into more of your thing. Um, track two on the record is called "Mind Monopoly." Uh, so yeah, tell us a little bit about how that one came to be. Yeah, uh, that song is about uh, man. The media, the media is just a, it's a problem. Um, 
you know, it's 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 kind of become like the two-party voting system where you got to pick one or the other. You know, you you got your left-leaning and your right-leaning media, yeah. and depending on who you listen to, they tell you basically who's the enemy that day. Yeah. And uh, that's just what they do. And so it's kind of become a monopoly, you know, where uh, like Amazon puts little uh, businesses out of business right. be- because yeah. they've slowly grown to monopoly. Well, these these news media's they try to they try to um, silence uh, independent or small news outlets because they don't have a bias and that's a problem because mm. if you don't have an angle it's a lot harder to make money off of someone and right. push an agenda so uh, that's basically that you know there's a line in that where uh, it says we're in a digital cage in the information age where yeah. it's basically like we we have all this news being thrown at us and it could be the same it could be one story but depending on who you ask the headlines are completely different yeah and that should tell us everything we need to know. You yeah. know that um, we we are actually being manipulated, and uh, we're kind of become pawns to put in the middle of this game, so uh, people can get their agendas going, and and we're in the middle of it. So it's basically a call to just kind of smash your TV or your computer or your phones <laughs> or whatever, and and yeah. you know to at least for, for for God's sake, if you're going to share an article, just read it first. Um, yes. Fact check. I don't know anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely <laughs> a, an angry song. There's that the line where um, it opens up with "They give us just yeah. enough meat, uh, or they give us just enough leash to make us think we're in the lead." It's yeah. totally, totally true. Yeah, great line. And um, that I, that was like one of the little notes I had written down was just that lyric because the first time I heard it, I was like, "Oh, that's that's real good." And I get I I like going through sometimes and. Um, especially when it's an artist I'm sort of trying to familiarize myself with, you know, kind of sort of see like, oh, where where are they in, in regards to influences are concerned? Because this song, I heard it and I was stuck going, man, it just sounds, it reminds me so much. Not like saying like, oh, you've written a song for this band, but just sure. like in, influenced by Face to Face. Oh, I love uh, Face to Face, bro. Yeah. I love, so, love Face to Face. Well, and so part of it, like that, like that line, like just my big thing about face to face i love face to face as well like they're yeah. easily one of my favorites growing up and we've talked about them a little bit on the show um yeah. we plan on talking about them even more in depth in the future but trevor keith and his lyricism has always been something that i've been able to just like he's because i i, I find just the way he writes his lyrics he doesn't he doesn't alienate anybody right no like he doesn't he really doesn't yeah he, He's, but but at the same point, he's not writing like bland vanilla lyrics. He's got a he's got a message that he's that he's still getting across, and I just kind of got that vibe. And I mean, and and you know, like you said, it's an angry song. There's a little bit of that anger in in, in your voice, and that you know, Trevor sometimes brings that through. Because I did have a note somewhere else here where there's where I was thinking about another song in here that reminds me a little bit of Face to Face. But my note in my head was, but you don't sound quite as angry as Trevor Keith does sometimes. <laughs> well, but, Tre- um, <laughs> Trevor's been around they, longer. He's got he's got more built up. I'm sure. Well, than they, yeah, that's <laughs> fair. But but this song specifically, you do have that was like, oh no, here it is. Like I can I can attach that to it. I think it's pretty great. So. Um, yeah, let's move on to track the third track, which is "Losers." Losers, Losers was a fun one. That this was another one of those songs where I sat down on the couch with my acoustic. Uh, a lot of these I'll write acoustic first because I think like if you have a good song, you don't it can stand on its own with just a voice and an instrument for sure. Yeah, and so I try to start there a lot of times. But "Losers" was like one of those songs that just kind of came out, and it honestly came from. It's gonna sound really cheesy, but uh, you know the movie "Walk the Line." course you've seen it yeah, yeah uh you know the part where the guy's like is that the song you want to sing if you're dying in the gutter this right, is what yeah, you yeah. want and so uh i had just found out that i was having a son and uh so i was like that popped in my head because i every time i write a song I, I try to think that and be like don't just don't just say stuff like say something mm. and so uh for for this song what popped into my head was like if i was going to tell my son something in a song yeah. And ironically, it's called Losers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I like, you're a loser, kid. But <laughs> but it means basically it's the it's the other side of that where it's um, you know I'm a I'm an artist, you know, a musician. So I'm all the things that you can't make a living at. Uh, and my yeah. wife, same deal. Like we're both artsy fartsy weirdos. Yes. But so there's a good chance that my son Bishop's going to be like that. But I want him to know, like, hey, if you want to do something, you want to do music, or you want to paint pictures. I'm going to really, really try my best to make sure you can do that. And I want to support you in that. 
and people will say if it's really losery why don't you get a real job because that's you know what I heard growing up or whatever but um, but I'm like dude we need like you need to at least try and uh, the thing about the losers is it's not that we're losing it's that we're giving we're giving of ourselves right Right. so um, the one of the the lines is uh, so collect your cuts and bruises you learn more when you're losing uh, refuse to play it your way, so you won't you won't know our name, but you can call us losers. Yeah. And uh, so I, I I that's what I'm gonna tell them. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. No, I I like you know now knowing that you wrote it kind of as a to sing to your son or whatever to pass along to your son because in the in the lyrics it reminds me um, again of you know like Bruce Springsteen in different ways just in the way he can like tell a story and relate because I wouldn't say necessarily that you're telling a story in the song but you're kind of building characters in the song whether or not you know those characters are you or your wife or your son it's just neat kind of how you 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 bring it all together and it, it just reminds me of that and so yeah like it I don't know I can it's a song where when I listen to it I can I guess paint a picture of who these people are in my head, whether or not I'm painting you. <laughs> right? Yeah, I would. Yeah, you, I would love for you to paint me. I, I'd love to see how it turns out. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> no. Uh, let's move on to a, a song that you actually mentioned a few minutes ago: "Politicians and Celebrities." Yeah, this is a yeah. This was my first forte, um, and so the, the other thing too is you know I I I when people ask me well what what, what kind of music do you play I say punk rock just because like. I think it's more than a genre or a specific sound. It's it's more of a an attitude and a uh, a philosophy on how you approach things. Mm-hmm. So you could listen to politicians and celebrities and be like, well, this isn't very punk rock. This doesn't sound like Green Day or whatever. But um, right. it's just how it came out. So I whatever. But it was coming out of a place of, um, you know, I realized that most of the, you know, the I went on social media, you know, which is always a mistake, especially right. on Twitter, and. You can scroll through and look, and most of the people are their sources are politicians or celebrities. Now, right? Uh, I don't know why we're we're like asking celebrities on opinions on things when their job is to pretend they're someone they're not. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so um, that's cool. They can have opinions, but I, I just don't hang my hat on it, a lot of that. Right. Yeah, yeah. And on the other side, a politician, where I mean, it's it's pretty much your job is designed to um, spin things, and you know essentially mm-hmm. lie <laughs> so yes. yeah. also think you can be a good person and whatever but like i think for me um we need you know i i have to remember like these are humans and they also have flaws and just because they um i saw them on a screen doesn't mean doesn't mean anything to me it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they know what they're talking about it doesn't mean they know what's good for me or they even yeah. want what's good for me because yeah probably don't we don't know each yeah, other right, right? Well, so that's fair it's just a good reminder of just, hey, like it says, these people aren't your friends. They just play them on TV. Yeah, that's a, a great line that I was I was going to point out. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. a, a lot of my notes here are just like little lyrics that you like from lines. I'm like, oh, man, that's another good line. Uh, it's, a, it's an album full of good lines. So um, let's move into uh, the next track, which is House Made of Mirrors. So House Made of Mirrors, I started writing that. Uh, that was actually really early on. This is a song that I started writing probably a few years ago, and I wasn't sure how to articulate it. Um, but it started with with me. Um, I grew up in Stockton, California, which is actually the just voted the most diverse city in, in the country. And so I remember growing up, and my first friend down the street was, uh, he was from Mexico. So he actually didn't speak English. But right. we were friends, and we played G.I. Joe's in the yard. Yeah. And my mom would always ask me, Nate, how come? How can you guys like be such good friends? You don't even speak like speak the same language. You don't talk to each other. And I told her, um, "You don't have to talk to play, mom." And yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true. And I remember that. And I think, well, now it's like we're so obsessed with what we look like, literally skin color. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is like used as a weapon to say you don't know me, and we can't have a relationship because you haven't yeah. been where I've been. It's like, well, that's the point. Like yeah. you have to have two. If you're ever trying to like meet meet a middle ground or have actual unity or um, have a discussion, you have to start from a place of difference. That, mm. That's how you get around per, uh, round perspective, right? You yeah. You come from a different point of view. So, but now we're like, no, 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 no. We're we're both different, so you don't get to have a perspective because you're not me. It's just yeah. stupid. So yeah. 
that song uh, is basically coming out of that frustration and so listen if you actually want change which you might not but if you do you can't just live in an echo chamber and you can't just um, there's a line that says we sharpen our teeth for the reply yeah. um, the scraping sounds all we hear because a lot of times when someone's talking we're not listening we're just forming our argument yeah yeah it's yeah th this song I, I mean it's uh, th this album has a, not a common theme through the whole thing necessarily but like this I, I, I feel I was picking up vibes that you know the living in a world of you know black and white I'm right you're wrong um, you know if it's if it's not what I believe it's it's evil or whatever right like living living in this world where we're very one side or the other seems to be the case most of the time it, it's a theme that kind of comes up um, several times through the record so uh, this is definitely one of those songs where I kind of had that as a note um, moving on to the next song though quite possibly the most beautiful song on the album uh that'd be things my father taught me uh, I don't, there's probably not a whole whole lot to say about this song that isn't said in the song um but why don't you share a little bit about that one yeah so my dad uh, he actually passed away nine years ago this father's day so a couple weeks ago cool. and um he uh <laughs> he was yeah it took me a long time to be able to write about that you know yeah uh some some cuts like that they're just they're very deep, and so you yeah. can't really articulate. But um, once I was okay, once I kind of reached that point, it just came out. And I didn't want to write like a necessarily like sad song, even though it's you know it's it's sad. There's sad elements to yeah. it, but yeah. um, it's very very on the nose, like literally what he was like. So the opening yeah. line is he had holes in his jeans, but his truck was always clean. Yeah. And for me, uh, you know, growing up, my dad would <laughs> have. Uh, he had long white hair, a white beard. He looked like Kenny Rogers. And so right. <laughs> he was one of those guys that he just looks like a bad A, but he's actually very, very nice. But people right, are, right. were scared of him. And so um, he would rock around with like holes in his jeans. And one time he had his his entire crotch was like ripped open. like in the, in the <laughs> And so I was like, Dad, dude, I can I can actually see your underwear. Like it's a I can look right into your pants. And yeah. he's like, eh, whatever. I don't care. And um, <laughs> he literally did not care what one person oh, right. thought except his family because the reason he had pants like that is because he took care of us right um, so but he also taught me so the so the on the opposite side when i got in his truck his truck was immaculate yeah. he would he would wash it like every other week he would make sure it always smelled good there's beef jerky in the glove box and <laughs> and that was such a great representation of who he was because when it was something with with him he was very selfless about it but his company truck, because it was someone else's, he took responsibility for it. He took it very seriously. So he treated it better than his own stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, dang. And so um, you don't really pick up on those things too much until, you know, it went a little bit later maybe or uh, you think back on it. And so yeah. uh, I just was like, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know I was having a kid at that time. I don't think I would be able to write a song like that if I was having a son. But um right. But I just wanted to finally like write him a song. Yeah, yeah. The the line uh, where he says he was far too young when it was time to say goodbye. He always said to me, "Son, better to be early than to be on time." Um, just thought that was kind of a cool line in in how you just, I guess, tied it in there, saying you know you didn't necessarily want to write like this sad song. Um, so like just the fact that you know you're talking about him passing away at you know a, a fairly young age, I guess, but. You know, he said to me, it's better to be early than to be on time. Like to, to understand that he had that, like that kind of perspective is kind of uh, interesting and, and, and hopeful, I guess you could say in, in a sort of way. Um, so that's yeah. pretty great. It's a beautiful song. Thank you. And then you followed it up with a song called Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I followed it up with a song called Monsters. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about it. So I wanted to write a love song uh, and I don't right. write a lot of, I do write love songs. I just don't record and release love songs i've, I've right, written rachel right, right. songs before and stuff but i wanted to write a love song but i wanted to do it in the nate parish way and uh me and my buddies um some of them are in the videos with me we do uh monster squad so on mondays we'll get together and watch like really bad horror movies you know with right 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 b, b movies and stuff and we really like that that whole deal and so I wanted to kind of tie in uh, that theme into writing like a, you know, a, 
just a, a love song, but it's basically coming from the the point of view of you know when you meet someone that kind of they flip the light switch so to speak, and mm. it talks about like all the um, all the hearts I used to know they follow me like a ghost, um, basically saying like man I wasted so much time uh, you know with, with relationships that don't didn't really go anywhere and i yeah and yeah. and, and it, you don't know that until you meet someone where you're like oh okay and so yeah. um but she even the things that like i regret uh she would never hold that against me so it's essentially her basically flipping the light switch when you're you know when you're a kid who's scared of monsters in his closet yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Did you intentionally kind of go into this song and like change up your vocal delivery or did it just kind of come out that way? Because there, there's, there's parts on this song yeah. where you're singing like you're like, I mean, you don't sing like this anywhere else on the record where it's kind of like this in between spoken and in between singing. It reminds me quite a bit of, did you ever see the movie Empire Records? I love Empire Records. Yeah. Yeah. So like the song "Sugar High" by Coyote <laughs> Shivers. Oh, totally, yeah. dude. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's parts where I'm like, oh, but but I mean, they also in a roundabout way reminded me in their sound, kind of in that song specifically. Anyway, I wasn't too familiar with the rest of their kind of library, but of of social distortion, like kind of sure. a little bit going on there. But <laughs> was that? Did you go out of your way going? I want to write, you know, a melody that's quite a bit different, or did it just kind of happen? It, it honestly just kind of happened. Um, when I was writing this song, I was like, okay, this will be a really, really straightforward, fast, no fluff, power chord song. Right. And once I started on the verse, when I decided to you know, bring it down, um, it, the vibe, it felt like it needed like space to breathe. I didn't want to sing it really fast, you know what I mean? Because it's a fast right. song. Yeah. So um, it's just what came out. It, the, the, the idea in my head sounded like that and so um, I remember recording that in my house and showing Rachel I was like this is kind of weird but what do you think she's like I love it it sounds like Bob Dylan I was like oh, yeah, there you go. Bob yeah. Dylan <laughs> and uh, in my mind when I listened back to it um, it was kind of hearkening a little bit to like the the Dylan kind of folk stuff but also a little bit of the the British kind of uh, punk rock right. where they're not singing they're sort of like snarling a little bit yeah yeah yeah, and so um, it wasn't an intentional thing. It just that honestly just kind of felt like that's what it should sound like. <laughs> yeah. I I love it too. I think it, like it's it is a standout kind of moment on the album. All of a sudden, we're like, oh yeah, okay, th- like this is pretty sweet. I I can really get into it. I I love that it's kind of just its own thing on the record too, right? Like, um, just kind of creates a moment. So let's move on to uh, track eight on the record, which is "Everything Is Outrage." Yeah, it is. Just, are, are you angry again? <laughs> this is <laughs> so. I'm mad again. Uh, yeah, this was... yeah. You have you have an exclamation point in your title. You're I had punctuating to. in your I titles now. You're <laughs> just that one. I had so that was the second song I actually wrote. That was uh, August, and um, that was yeah. It was actually it's. I mean, it's addressing outrage culture. Um, just the kind of like. Ah, man, people are so brave when they don't have to look at another person in the eye. And totally. we all do it, obviously. But um, the danger is I can see on the horizon is if everything literally is outraged, then, then nothing is outraged anymore. And everything sort of melts together. And so things that are actually like, whoa, 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 we should do something yeah. uh, becomes white noise because we've been saying that about literally every little thing that offends us. Right. You know, oh, I didn't like that episode of whatever, so cancel that show. And then when someone actually in real life does something, you're crying wolf. And there's a yeah. line where it says, like, you keep crying for the wolf, he'll show up and right. it'll be too late. And so it's just addressing uh, outrage culture. And, and I, I, there's, I mean, there's so much to that. But like the big, the big idea is that, listen, we're all, um, we are all imperfect people. And, Go go digging in my background. You will find that I did something wrong because guess what? I'm a bad person. So right. just like you, just like everyone else. And so what if we flipped the outrage culture instead of trying to cancel people and be like, you know what? People mess up. What if you apologize? Can we move on? Because that's okay. what I would want for me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, it's, I mean, keyboard warriors, man. What do we say? <laughs> it's keep, oh, uh, so fun fact about that song too, though, is yeah. that was another one where um, I just sat down and wrote the entire progression in one sitting. 
So All I right. didn't. Yeah, that actual the the guitar tracks are the demo tracks. Oh, funny. Um, yeah, it just came out just like super easy and. Uh, which makes sense because you know I was really pissed and I'm like yeah let's do it and I wrote the whole song in, <laughs> in one sitting and in the in the vocals and everything but I I recorded that with my friend Thomas who plays in a band called Silent Planet Are you familiar yeah. with that band uh, um, yeah yeah so they're like a pretty pretty big a really great um, I guess post hardcore band uh, so he uh, lives here in Bakersfield and we're buds and he plays bass on it so the bass is all dirty and filthy and awesome yeah. and so yeah that was a fun um, getting to record with him. So when when writing, how often does that happen where you just kind of like sit down and you get out exactly what you're envisioning in basically one go? Um, so everything is outrage was like that with with the guitar tracks, you know, and obviously I had to take some time with the the lyrics and everything. But yeah, okay. uh, that song and then um, permanence was like that, which is the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And then hope was actually a little bit like that, which is the last song on the album. Right. So let's lead us in then to. So uh, that was track such nine. a good segue into. Yeah, there we go. Track nine, which is Permanence, you just mentioned. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so Permanence is a, is a very happy sounding song, but it came from a, a not so great premise. Uh, Rachel's dad passed away in August. Um, so pretty fresh. And he was, he was such a good dude. I mean, he was like the example of just what a good like a good guy was um, right. and so the song came from um, processing that in a weird way because it's kind of like a happy hopeful sounding song which right but but lyrically it was me kind of working through um, okay so uh, we live in a world where we are searching for permanence but everything is temporary and it becomes pretty obvious and I can I work through my emotions of being mad at God or being mad at whoever I'm mad at. I need someone to blame for this not going my way. But no matter where I've gone throughout my life, um, you know, if I walk away from God or I'm mad at or I do whatever, I always end up with, you know, it hasn't changed though, is he's still God and he's still good and I still believe in him. Right. It just, it, it just doesn't change. And in all these circumstances change and I may be upset or whatever, but it doesn't override for me like, but still he's the truth. So I'm trying to work that out, you know? And, um, that song is basically just that addressing that in a hopeful way. Um, because he, he wouldn't have wanted me to, uh, address it a different way. And right. so it's, it's a weird, and weirdly it's a tribute to him. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, there's definitely, you say hope, um, but also I guess kind of inspiration, even just to pick yourself up necessarily, like in the lyric where it says, we don't pick where we begin, but what we do with the time that we have left. I was like, that's, you know, like you can't, you can't change, you know, where, whether, whether you're talking specifically about where you were born or even just like what has happened in the past that's happened in the past, but you can, you can change and affect what you do moving forward, which I think is uh, pretty big, which leads us into, I guess, the final track on the album, which is the song Hope. And I will say this before you talk about it. It's it's a great closer to the album. Like it feels it, it provides like closure to the album, I think. Um, but, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? So that song, I had another song written and uh, it was about to I had tracked everything except for drums. And I was going to send it off to for Ethan to track some drums. Yeah. And then the whole pandemic thing kind of hit and it was in March and we go on lockdown and people are getting sick and people are losing their jobs, all kinds of scary stuff. And um, I thought, man, if I if I don't, I have to write about this. Like I have to. Uh, I don't know. Uh, not that people are waiting for me. Well, what's Nate have to say? But like for me, right. I had to yeah. address it. And um so I, I wrote that that song. I think I sat in my car and wrote it because I couldn't go anywhere, but I needed to get outside. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sat in my car and Classic. wrote that song. Um, yeah, literally just about kind of what we're facing at the time, especially and, you know, still. But um, and it actually was was kind of really solidified in my mind when I saw um, a friend of mine had posted one of those posts where, you know, he's talking about like, the people who are still making things happen, you know, like the people who are still delivering food, you know, yeah. with, with their uh, trucks or police or whoever, you know, is still going out and doing stuff, putting their life at risk, the the healthcare workers, all yeah. that stuff. And that for me, was like, yeah, yeah, there's still people doing it. You know, they're, they're 
they're not afraid. Yeah. And so um, I wrote that song literally just about what we were going through, and I knew it had to be on the album. So I wrote it and tracked everything um, and sent it off, like, I think, in a matter of like two weeks, and I got it all back and made sure I could put it on the album. Right uh, on. Snuck it in there. Yeah, there you go. And that, and, it, and like I said, it wraps up the album, uh, you know, kind of rather nicely. It's it's interesting to know, I guess, because I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't know for sure whether or not that was written, you know, kind of as, I guess you could say, current times, because you know, a lot of times when putting an album together, you could be, you know, things have changed since you wrote a lot of these songs, right? So, um, for for that song to come out and still be very real. <laughs> Um, and, 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 you know, like right now is, is kind of neat. So that did, I, I did actually want to ask a question. Um, what was it like, I guess, because did you have this full length in mind or like an announcement, like any firm concrete plans before everything kind of started shutting down? <laughs> no, I thought the plan I had was, so I originally was going to write one song a month for a year. Yeah. And then, so I got about, you know, six songs in. And I was like, yeah, I should probably just stop here and then finish the rest and put out a full length. Okay. So in my mind, I picked June 19th because it was a Friday and that's when albums typically yeah. come out. But it was the closest I could get to um, when my dad had passed away. Okay. And so it was, um, uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure that I could get it in close to that time. So I did pick that time ahead of, I think I, yeah. I think once I started finishing things up around... February, March, I was like, it'll probably be June 19th. Right. So, um, and then all this stuff happened. So it, it, it is kind of weird, you know, how it all lined up. Um, yeah. and it wasn't as obviously I didn't know that there was a pandemic coming. Um, but, uh, I'm glad that I got to kind of, um, I don't know, release an album in the weirdest time I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, which typically is not a great idea, but yeah, I, you know, I was like, I, I just, you know how you know, music and, and things, they, they do have the ability to heal you or mm-hmm. uh, make you think or give you hope and all these things. And not that I'm some special whatever, but I, I said, this is my contribution. So I'm not going to delay it. I think we just, I need to do it now still. so That's cool. I mean, so this record will now forever remind me of <laughs> the world being shut down. Perfect. But, but hey, it'll also, this is kind of neat, I think, it'll forever remind me of being in Nova Scotia, where I am right now, because I've listened to it so much. I mean, it came out, yeah, I was here by the time it came out, and then obviously, like, setting this up and going, oh, I should probably listen to the record, you know, so listening to it a number of times. But another record that reminds me of Nova Scotia, and this is the segue of all segues, is White Light, White Heat, Whoa! White Trash by nice. Social Distortion. that cd and i don't know what year this this would have been i mean the cd had been out for a while so this would have been probably i want to say christmas around christmas of 2001 is my guess yeah we came out to visit my grandparents for christmas at that time and um and i bought this cd along with uh good riddance symptoms of a leveling spirit um yeah i had those i brought those with me this was in the time of you know like if i'm 
listening to music, I, you know, I literally have to bring CDs with me. And so I could just being, I can remember being in my grandparents' basement where I was sleeping and my grandmother had her computer down there, which had a CD drive and I would just, and and speakers. And I just kept playing those two CDs over and over and over again. And uh, so forever since, since hearing that, I now, anytime I put that album on, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm back. I mean, here where I am right now, but um, back in Nova Scotia at my grandparents sort of thing. So I'm like, that's, that's kind of neat that. You know these two records, and you picked this record. I said, "Hey, is there a record you'd want to, you know, chat a bit about?" And you said, "This was the first one." I don't know if there was any hesitance on your end or not, because you answered pretty quick, and you're like, "White, white light, white heat, white trash." It was like, "Cool, that's I like crazy that record." That's yeah, funny. So. Um, no, there wasn't a lot of hesitancy. I mean, those questions for you know a music lover is like, "Whoa, give me like a week, dude." I know, right? Uh, <laughs> but it, you know, honestly, um, Social D is also obviously a huge influence for me. Uh, I love Mike Ness. Um, that album, like I said, is technically my first punk rock album. Right. Even yeah. though I didn't know what it was. And it, I think it was, it was cool because it was starting with that album was such a, from, is such a departure from their, their previous albums. Um, right. The production on it was just a lot more, it was a lot heavier, I guess. Yeah. And it was a lot yeah. more aggressive. Even his vocals were really like, he had smoked extra that year, you know, <laughs> just he, in preparation, just in preparation to, he was bark. He wasn't singing anymore. He was barking. Right. And, um, so, but if I would have jumped in maybe at like self-titled, it might've been too, um, light for me at the right. time, you know, or yeah. even, uh, somewhere between heaven and hell, which actually I think might be my favorite social D album. Uh, it would have been, I'd be like, what is this country music? So, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that album was was a really good introduction to me, and it doesn't, it 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 is not what you would call punk rock at the time when you're when you're listening to bands like Green Day and Rancid, yeah, you know, because you're like, oh, it's too slow, yeah, yeah, or whatever. But um, his the way he clearly had those classic rock and roll inspirations like Rolling Stones and mm-hmm. and Bruce Springsteen to to a degree, but yet he had the lyrics of like don't drag me down where i'm like oh he is punk rock he's talking about like the white house and painting it black and like all that kind of stuff (laughs) but 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 then he'd have a song like um down here with the rest of us where he's like oh so that reminds me of my dad where he's like a working man and he you know and so it was it was just a a cool album to this day it's you know it's one of my favorites and mike ness has kind of always been an interesting guy because I mean, you mentioned sort of uh, with the one record, like saying, "Oh, what is this? Is this like what's what's going on with like the country influence here?" Because um, he kind of, I don't want to say get, like gave permission in a way, but like I mean, growing up, once I got into punk rock, it was like that was all that mattered. That was all I wanted to listen to. And if it's not punk rock, it's garbage, right? Like, <laughs> totally. You know, was was sort of this phase that I went through, and I I know I'm sure a number of people go through that, right? And so to hear Mike Ness bring in those influences, and I can remember reading, I don't remember which magazine it was, uh, but there was a magazine and there was a feature in there on him, and the uh, like the headline or the title of the article or whatever was "Going Cow Punk Tree" was like how they like. So, you know, they made some amalgamation of a word to, to, to signify that, you know, Mike Ness has these country influences. And I was like, dang, that's kind of cool. Like, and, and growing up where I grew up, so like I live in, in Alberta, which is, I mean, prairies, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of country music in Alberta, right? And uh, so, I mean, it was always around me and I always hated it. And, you know, the, but there was something, you know, like it was, it was through, I'm sure, social distortion that I was introduced to the likes of Johnny Cash, right? Like, and, and just seeing, you know, kind of this different side of country that, you know, at the time it was all this, you know, like the top 40 of country or whatever. And I was like, I got zero interest in this, but, um, just to like be someone who in, in his own way encouraged me to, think outside of the box a little bit you know yeah i found a music that i attached myself to and really loved but hey that doesn't mean that you can't attach yourself to this and really love this and whatever and i'm not saying that i attach myself to country necessarily there's some that i that i'll enjoy it's just i no longer you know i would turn my nose up to it and you know i'd also enjoy other genres of music over time. <laughs> well I mean, this happens when you get really excited about something new it's the only thing that matters you know so like sure. punk rock, hey, listen, if it's not punk rock, it's literally garbage. 
So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but when I heard Social D, and obviously Mike's got incredible street cred, uh, yeah. you know, being starting technically in 77, I think he would say, or 79. Right. Um, and then looking at the liner notes, what you do is you look at what bands do they like, and then you go check out those yeah. bands. So totally. I would look at the liner notes, and he mentioned like Velvet Underground. I was like, what? Yeah. They're not punk at all. Or um, yeah. Stones, which my dad liked. Uh, Cash, which my growing up, my parents, especially my mom, loved Johnny Cash, Hank Williams, all that stuff. So I was like, okay, I, I remember that. That's, that's cool. I guess it's cool if he likes it. And then... Mm-hmm. But then exposing you to other, well, he would just sing the praises of the Ramones. And I'm like, well, I got to check out the Ramones. And when I discovered the Ramones, I was like, okay, now this, this is punk rock. Um, right. And, uh, or the Clash or the Pistols and stuff like that. So, Did you ever, I mean, you mentioned uh, Velvet Underground there. Did you ever actually listen to uh, White Light, White Heat? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, had a, um, I had a friend made me a mix CD of all the the good um, Velvet Underground Lou Reed stuff. And uh, yeah. I like it still. I, I Heroin is one of my favorite songs. It's, yeah. such, a, it's such a weird, like, what? Because um, I guess, I, I guess, like, so with White Light, White Heat, White Trash, um, I mean, obviously they were playing off the Velvet Underground title, but uh, I, I don't know if this was, like, intentional sort of thing, but you'd mentioned, like, how, you know, White Light, White Heat, White Trash was, you know, heavier than their previous stuff, and White Light, White Heat by Velvet Underground was heavier than their previous stuff it was supposed to be like you know signifying for them or whatever i came across that going that's kind of cool if that's true or not like i when i i i'm pretty sure yeah 100 percent. when i had heard this record i hadn't heard i don't i'm pretty sure i hadn't heard of the velvet underground but um yeah it was uh have you ever kind of going not entirely off track but did you ever watch the documentary another state of mind Oh yeah, I had it on um, VHS. I bought it off a guy in Hollywood um, who had like one of those bootleg, uh, a bootleg like video set up on the yeah, street. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I bought um, another state of mind, and I bought uh, Social Distortion Live at Tower Records, 1983. Oh, that's awesome! And yeah, they're another- both gone, and I hate <laughs> myself. Yeah, another state of mind is pretty sweet because in it, like when they. Uh, come up to Canada they like stop in this city that like the city that I grew up basically outside of like where I grew up in the punk scene there I was like oh that's awesome I had no idea about it the entire time like I was going to shows there that you know it was like they actually come visit here type thing and then all of a sudden like I'm an adult watching this going like oh yeah totally now it's way before my time but (laughs) it's it's such a cool one of the things that stood out to me about that and one of the reasons that made me love Mike Ness even more was so when I watched that video I was his age in the video. Oh yeah, okay. And and trying to be a whatever, a yeah. punk rocker. And I remember him sitting on his porch and he had that little crappy acoustic and it was yeah, out of tune yeah. and he was singing the melody, another stay. You know how he was singing. Yeah. And yeah. it sounded super not good, but yeah. but you could tell that he knew there was a song in there. Right. And he wasn't like embarrassed to show someone uh, like okay, maybe I, I I don't know exactly what I'm doing yet, but there is a song yeah. in here. So yeah. and I, and that gave me courage. Where I was like, because I had that kind of same feeling when I would write a song, I'd be to try to show it to my bandmates. Like yeah. I know this, I can I can visualize this with with my ears, if that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah. know what it's gonna sound like. It's it's got something. Just you know, like I know I'm not the best musician, but I trust me, this is a good song. And so it gave me the courage to kind of like I'm just gonna you know just to go for it and like and sing what you know what's in your heart and and uh and make make your music man so that's awesome man that's great hey you know thanks for for doing this this was cool yeah man i i uh, i came across your podcast i actually don't even know how i found it to be honest with you but i listened to uh i really like the face-to-face one obviously yeah yeah because uh, yeah, i mean i'm a huge face-to-face fan i listened to the blink one and um yeah. I, I like i like the format a lot and i thought you know um it's like, well, this will be a good, this will be a good test. We'll see if these dudes hate my album or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's funny. I was like, well, we'll see like what it. they think. We'll see what they think. Yeah. And so, anyway, yeah. But. Aaron actually, so my my co-host, he actually texted me when it came out um, because yeah, I was I was away. Like I I think the day it came out, I was actually driving across the country, so I hadn't added any new music. And he's like, oh, the new Nate Parrish album, it's pretty good. And I was like, 
oh shoot that came out like i should actually do <laughs> like by the time i got to my parents i was like oh yeah i could i should download that and listen to it like i mean i i had listened through it because you sent it early but to actually sit down and just like let it play i was like oh this is fantastic so um yeah super pumped to have you on the show and maybe we'll have to have you on uh, in the future again to talk more about social distortion. Oh, if you if you do a deep dive on social D, please give me a call. <laughs> oh, we will, we will. There you go. Um, hey, did you wanna did you wanna drop some of your social media information if people want to find you where they can find yeah, you? For sure. Uh, the easiest way is probably just nateparish.com. Super easy to remember. It's just my name, and yeah. uh, you can find pretty much everything there. So nice. music videos, links to social, all that stuff. There you go, man. So the, the album's called I'm a Wreck. You can listen to it, I think, pretty much anywhere, yeah? Pretty much anywhere, and I got CDs if you want to get CDs and with the artwork and stuff. And So, yeah. That's so sweet, man. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. I'll bump into you.